Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. To start out, Congressman Mark Pocan is with us. Congressman Pocan, welcome back. It's great to have you. I want to I start, if I may, with the top story on the Washington Post right now. The headline, it was like being preyed upon. That's a quote. Uh, and then the rest of the headline reads, Portland protesters say federal officers in unmarked vans are detaining them. They show the video of it. A Congressman Don Beyer just tweeted, who are these people? What, they have no identification other than a badge that says police. Who are these people? What agency do they work for? Who gives them orders? What are their use of force guidelines? What is their jurisdiction in Portland? This lack of accountability is unacceptable from federal authorities. We don't have secret police in the United States. I'm curious if you've been hearing about this, what you think about this. Others are suggesting, uh, Charles Pierce, for example, uh, in an op-ed that is pretty widely circulated already just a few hours ago, said this is just a dress rehearsal. We saw one instance of this in Washington, D.C. We've got three days of it now in Portland. The president is bragging about it. This is what right-wing groups for years and years have been afraid of, that one day federal police would come for them without you know, insignia and lock them in dark spaces. What the hell is going on here, Congressman? Yeah, I'll tell you, I think as you saw from Congressman Beyer and all of us were, were trying to find out, this is exactly what we saw happen in some form in Lafayette Park, which is actually a pivotal moment that was a moment where Donald Trump's campaign started a downfall because when he cleared out a park of peaceful protesters just so he could do a photo op to a church and then didn't know how to even hold the Bible, it really showed the hypocrisy of everything that Donald Trump stands for. And now seeing this in other places, I don't think it's going to go the way Donald Trump is hoping it goes. And this is what dictators do. This is not what presidents do. He's big into distractions. You know, we have to be very cognizant that we have a dangerous level of increasing COVID cases in the country, followed now by a dangerous amount of deaths because that lag is starting to catch up. We've got states that are doing everything wrong with numbers higher than uh, our peak that we had before. And, uh, you know, I think often this president does authoritarian actions to take away from what's actually happening. And all this is happening under the guise, Tom, that, you know, we need to pass a bill for COVID relief, like in the next week or two, because at the end of next week, the extended unemployment benefits, the additional money that we gave runs out, even though it's 731 was the date that is on a Friday 49 states run their uh, UI from Saturday to Saturday. That means next week is the last week for the additional money. And then people are going to be in a hard place to be paying rent and paying for food. So there's a lot going on that Donald Trump wants to distract us on. I'm going to keep focused the best I can on that. We have to get another package to provide relief for people really quickly. But this is classic Donald Trump. Yeah. A week ago or so, there was a piece in the paper about this whole secret police thing. This is so reminiscent of Pinochet and Chile, of really repressive governments all over the world. They knew that el-Sisi had taken over Egypt when police who were not wearing identification started arresting people in Tahrir Square. I mean, we've seen this in country after country after country. 
just saw the federal courts are now accelerating the rate at which Donald Trump's tax returns may come out. And assuming there's something that's absolutely disastrous for him in there, like proof that he's owned by foreign oligarchs and he's been money laundering for years and years and committing federal crimes, as his niece has alleged, you know, it sets him up for prison. But even more importantly, it so completely destroys his credibility that it destroys his presidency. And this happens and he's worried that this might happen in the next few months. Am I being hysterical here thinking that he may try to flip us into full-blown police state to either distract us from that or to, you know, or basically to say, okay, that's it. I'm pulling the plug. This is the end of democracy. This is what Viktor Orban did about six years ago in Hungary. Yeah, I think the comfort I could offer you, and this is just my opinion, is that uh, Republicans in the Senate um, and the House won't let that happen if it gets that far, because right now they're already at risk of losing the Senate. Uh, and I think it is that far, that though. Happen, Here in Portland, it's that far right now. Uh, I, but what I'm saying is I don't think this is going to be as widespread, and we uh, will have backup if it is, I think, from those very senators for their own self-interest, not for the public good, but for their own self-interest, won't let that happen. I mean, we're already watching it with the mask mandates. 36 states, including many Republican governors, have done mask mandates counter to what Donald Trump uh, has been saying about masks because they realize that the price is starting to be greater than they can afford to pay. So um, I do feel that there is some momentum right now on Donald Trump's downfall and that, you know, as we know, Republicans have been loyal to him only out of fear that he would uh, send people after him. But uh, once they see him as a liability, I think they'll be very willing to throw him under any bus uh, that drives by. Well, let's hope so. I mean, so far we've got Mitt Romney in the Senate, and, and I'm waiting to see if he's, in fact, I, I was going to check his Twitter feed a minute ago, and I got uh, you know, distracted, as it were, but, um, you know, let's let's hope. Uh, let's pick up some phone calls here. You're here for the hour taking calls. It's Middays with yeah. Mark, Friday edition, live on the Tom Hartman program. Bruce in Boca Raton, Florida. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Uh, hello, Congressman Pocan. Uh, I have a question for you. I know that, uh, you know, Medicare for All, comprehensive Medicare for All is a, uh, a big issue, and it has so many other facets. But the second most important issue or a benefit of Medicare for All that's not being discussed is the job creation possibilities, reducing the cost of labor and manufacturing our nation, making us more competitive around the world. And why isn't that being touted as a, a, a benefit of comprehensive Medicare for all, besides being uh, costing far less to process claims, uh, you know, the, the six, per, six cents on the dollar versus over 30 cents on the dollar for, for profit health insurance? Uh, I, would I think you, uh, we're running out of time here, Congressman. Yeah, no problem. Bruce, uh, you know, that's something actually that Tom and I talk about, both as small business owners, uh, the fact that if you take a health care away from an employer-provided model, which is essentially what we have now, that would free up resources for pay increases, for hiring more people, for all sorts of things. So you're absolutely right. That is an additional benefit. I think right now what's front of mind for everyone and, and with COVID is just the fact that we're fighting to get testing, we're fighting to get health care, uh, that you wouldn't have many of these problems if you had a Medicare for All system for many people. And I think that's why more people are waking up to it just from the health aspects. But I agree with what you're saying, Bruce. That's another strong point. Congressman Mark Pocan is with us for the hour, taking your calls, Middays with Mark, Friday edition, here on the Tom Hartman Program. He is the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He represents the 2nd District of Wisconsin and the U.S. House of Representatives. Pocan, P-O-C-A-N.house.gov is his website, and you can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. John in Seattle, uh, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Uh, thanks again, Tom. Uh, Mr. Pocan, I'm just wondering, uh, Tom talked about Moscow Mitch earlier, and uh, he talked about uh, Greg Pallas yesterday talked about uh, Trump trying to rig the vote. I'm just wondering if the Democrats have a strategy to put pressure on Moscow Mitch to, to just fund the, uh, fund the post office so that uh, people can vote by mail in, the, in 2020. Uh -oh. Sure, John. It is one of the, the top priorities we have going into this next COVID package. Uh, the Board of Governors, which is actually a bipartisan Board of Governors for the Postal Service, said they need $25 billion. I believe we put every dime of that uh, in the HEROES Act that we've now passed 
Believe it or not, Tom, two months ago, we've been waiting for the Senate Republicans to come to action on a COVID relief package. We have good reason to believe they they are going to come to the table. It's just a matter of the amounts right now. But uh, the Postal Service is one of the top priorities we have, along with state and local uh, funding, uh, extension of the unemployment, uh, additional assistance, uh, and other items. You, you, Congressman, the, the new head of the Postal Service that Trump put in um, issued a bunch of memos a few days ago, basically saying it's time to slow down the service. Um, is Congress reacting to that? Yeah, I mean, we've been very consistent. You know, this is one of the few things that's actually in the Constitution, right, is, is the Postal Service. Mm. And uh, we need to um, make sure uh, that we're going to keep it going. Other than Daryl Issa, who's unfortunately running to get back in Congress uh, again, um, there have been very few people who've just been totally hell-bent on trying to take down the Postal Service. While many are open to privatizing it, uh, the stronger support has been from people who are saying, no, we've got to keep this operating. Uh, we've got to get rid of that stupid 75-year prepayment of employee benefits that's really putting the biggest uh, problems in front of them. But uh, let's let them do even more things to be profitable. And that's, I think, the approach of the vast majority of Congress. Okay. Omar in Herndon, Virginia, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Tom, thank you so much for the platform, Mr. Pocan. Thank you for making yourself available. My question to you is, with this massive debt that we are accumulating, um, should I lose sleep over Social Security? Um, no. In fact, um, we had, uh, the, the Progressive Caucus had Robert Reich on a call a couple weeks ago about the deficit, because uh, some of our Democratic colleagues recently signed a letter with some Republicans saying, oh, my God, we've got to be careful with the deficit. And Robert Reich uh, gave a very eloquent uh presentation on why no, especially now, especially now, but even not now, uh, there's other reasons how we grow out of deficits and uh, we, we shouldn't have the same concern uh, that some the Republicans have pretended to have until they put $2 trillion into debt uh, in order to do their tax plan. But also there's a, a book I'm currently reading called The Deficit Myth. Uh, it talks about modern monetary theory. I'm not sure if I'm there yet on that, but it makes many strong cases why, uh, again, we shouldn't be concerned. And I think this will be a fight uh, moving forward, because after we pay for that giant tax break for the richest and after we pay for the COVID support, um, we're going to have a conversation about debt. And I think we've got to be ready to have that progressive response. But I, I wouldn't be worried, Omar. I think Social Security is in good shape and we're going to make sure it is. Is that Stephanie Keller's book? Yeah, uh, yes, yeah, definitely, yes. That's her book. Yeah, she's I brilliant. Guess, she's um, a regular on our show, or was for years. Yeah. It's been a while since she's been on, but we've got to get it back on. No, it makes a strong case. I'm just, I'm still trying to get my head around if I completely agree on modern monetary theory, but she makes many, many strong yeah. points. And Jeremiah in Coalport, Pennsylvania, you are on the air with Congressman <clears throat> Hey, Tom, Congressman. I work in uh, social services, and we bill our services through Medicaid. Um, years ago, I noticed that the people with whom we work started getting private for-profit insurance cards. And over the years, they've started getting co-pays, and uh, some medications are no longer being covered. And um, this one guy with whom I work now has to pay out of pocket for this one medication. So my question, um, couple questions, when and how did all this come about, and how has this um, affected uh, coverage for people, and uh, what can we do about it? Yeah, Jeremiah, I don't have enough specific at the top of my head to give you on that, so I would have to get back to you on that. Um, so, so I really just am not in a good position to give you a, a good, solid answer on that. Okay, Mark in San Francisco, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yeah, Tom and Congressman, I have a concern about uh, Social Security. Uh, the, mm -hmm. Trump keeps running an ad saying he wants to cut the payroll tax cut. And um, for Social Security, and I wish the Democrats would say he's trying to defund Social Security one, and I have a fear that it's going to be used to negotiate a deal with him. Can you uh, address my concerns? Yeah. So first of all, I mean, uh, you know, we've already taken uh, stances that we're going to maintain Social Security. And in fact, uh, John Larson has a bill that I believe has 200 Democratic sponsors to expand Social Security. So really, the position is quite different than the Republicans and Donald Trump. Um, I, I think uh, what we've been 
doing it when it comes to the, the negotiations. I, I think President Trump is the only one who really has been big on this payroll tax idea, and I don't hear it coming up enough that I think it's something that will likely be in the next COVID package, the next big, in the trillion-dollar COVID package. Um, I think it's more likely Republicans, unfortunately, are fighting for business uh, liability protection, and they're fighting um, for some other things that we also don't like, but they're actually fighting for them. And really, it's only been the president who's talked about this uh, payroll tax uh, deduction, or not deduction, but uh, decrease. So I'm not sure if it'll be in the next package, but it doesn't seem like it from the discussions that are happening between the House and the Senate right now. Simon in Aberdeen, New Jersey, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hey, good morning, uh, both of you gentlemen. Uh, I have been thinking about the uh, deficit. Uh, basically, the first two packages, which were socially absolutely necessary, uh, that money has been wasted by the fact that the Trump-Pence moron club basically has done nothing other than to make it worse. How is the next package going to protect against that if it is at all possible? Yeah, Simon, so, you know, it's it's not wasted in the sense that people who've actually lost a job need the assistance, right? It's not wasted in that small businesses would have gone out of business. It's not wasted in that we need to get money to state and local governments who are providing services. The the waste was created by the bad policy and having no national plan. I agree with that point, but I don't think the dollars are wasted because we still need them to cover uh, the very – things I just talked about, because uh, the White House has had no plan and has put us in a place that we now have, uh, you know, the number of deaths that we have and the number of cases that we have. So um, you're absolutely right. uh, From the very top, from the very beginning, there's been no plan by the White House, and they've created us to have to spend this money. But I don't think it's wasted in that it's really helping real people, and we need more of it right now desperately. Gary in Arlington Heights, Illinois. Got a minute and a half to the break, Gary. Quick one for Congressman Pocan, please. Um, yeah, Tom, Congressman. Um, I, call, I talked to Ro Khan a couple of years ago about this idea on your show. Breaking the blockade in the Senate. What about separating the phrase, all citizens' right to vote, from H.R. 1? Passing it and sending it up to the Senate as a single-sentence bill and daring them to vote against it or block it. And it hit the media all over the place. Republicans don't want you to vote. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, Gary, I, I, they've gotten away with uh, not lowering drug prices, uh, not uh, trying to make it uh, safer to vote. Um, you know, go down the list of bills that we've passed. I don't think they care. I think they're pretty shameless. And right now, uh, they're hackery uh, when it comes to Donald Trump. So I, I know what you're saying. You think it would be a simple concept, but I don't know if it would have the impact that you're hoping, um, because they seem to be uh, willing to not vote on any of these measures that would be a strong publicly supported measures. I mean, that prescription drug one alone, it's like 90, 89% or something crazy that supports that. And they're fine with sitting on it as long as the special interests are happy. The single uh, cardinal characteristic of sociopathy is a lack of shame, the yeah. inability to feel shame. That's, and you said they're shameless. It's, it's amazing. And that's where they're at. Yeah. 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 That's definitely where they're at. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued 
at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. And Linda in Coconut Creek, Florida, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Well, thank you, um, Tom, and thank you, Congressman, for coming on the show and, and informing us. I am a uh, newly retired postal employee. <laughs> Yay! But I'm worried about my pension. I'm keeping it real simple so somebody else can get in. Can they steal our pension, especially with the new PMG that Trump has placed in there to bankrupt the post office? Will we still keep our pensions? And thank you um, for your for your service. Yeah, uh, Linda, I, I don't think Donald Trump will be able to because we have the House of Representatives and we're not going to let him steal your pension. Um, if we weren't there, uh, I, I wouldn't be saying that. And uh, we have some other um, pension um, legislation that we did include in the HEROES Act. Whether or not that'll move forward in the next COVID bill, it'll all depend on the House Republicans. But I, I think uh, you should be safe because uh, Nancy Pelosi is still Speaker. Greg in Turner's Fall, Massachusetts. You're on the Earth Congress in Pocan. Hey, Representative, I was just curious. Um, in Massachusetts, coming up in September 1st, there's a race between uh, a progressive champion, uh, Ed Markey, who co-authored the Green New Deal, and uh, Joe Kennedy. And um, I understand you've endorsed Joe Kennedy instead of the progressive champion, Ed Markey, in that race. Uh, Joe Kennedy just came around a single pair of Medicare for all, I believe, last year, finally kicking and screaming. Uh, maybe not Medicare for all, but single payer. I'm just curious uh, why you wouldn't be supporting the progressive champion, Ed Markey, in that uh, in that race. Sure, Greg. Um, well, first of all, they're both progressive champions. If you look at uh, the various ratings that they have, uh, there's a two-point difference in their voting record. So to say one is progressive and one isn't uh, would not be a correct statement. So they're both progressives. I think Joe uh, really represents more of the future. Uh, I think he's done a great work in the House. I came in with him in my class, and I've watched him do amazing things. And you know, honestly, I'm I'm one of the people who I think if you've got 44 years um, in the House and Senate. You should have a pretty substantive uh, amount of things to show that you've passed and that you've done. And um, I, I think that uh, it may be time to have someone new go in there and, and develop a new list of things because uh, there's a lot of room for, for improvement. Um, and I think Joe will do a great job there. So uh, let's just remember, you know, when you're two points apart on your voting records, uh, one is not evil and one is great. Uh, let's just remember, you know, one might have been good on some issues. But, you know, if you go back on voting records, some people voted for wars when they shouldn't have. And uh, there's a lot of other things. I just think this is a chance uh, for you to decide which person uh, is the best uh, person to be the senator from Massachusetts. But uh, rest assured, based on their actual voting records, they're both progressives. Holly in Tampa, Florida, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yes, thank you for taking my call. My question is, what measures do you think we can take at this point as a country to encourage people at every level, whether they are within Medicare, whether they're working within the courts, uh, attorneys, etc., to encourage more people from stepping forward with their truth, as we've seen so much uh, intimidation, fear, coercion, blowback for any whistleblowers at the highest level in this country, 
I think that there's got to be some way to pull that back so that people begin to share honestly what is going on. Yeah, Holly, I mean, you're right. We have strong whistleblower protections, so people uh, should be willing to. The I think the problem is where the information is actually held is held by a bunch of people who um, are largely Trump sycophants who uh, have drinking the Kool-Aid and then some. Uh, and even if something is wrong, they're not saying uh, that publicly. And I'll bet you they'll all have a bunch of books in a, another year from now uh, that'll be saying how they were the ones who kept raising the red flag. And yet we all know uh, they have not. Uh, and so, um, you know, for I think the average uh, federal employee, I think they're they're willing to do uh, the whistleblower um, protections, they know that they're in place for them. But I think you know, where we really need them is in the people at the top levels in the Trump administration. And by and large, um, many of them can be a pretty scary bunch. And uh, I think, you know, let's just watch for the hypocrisy a year from now when they tell you all that they actually did. Tyrone in Harlem, New York, here on the Earth Congress in Pocan. Hey, how you doing, Congressman? And, and thank you for taking my call. Can you hear me? Hey, Tyrone. Yes, yeah. okay. uh, my, my, my question is, are, are the Democratic Party going to come in, this, providing that Joe Biden wins the election, they got to come in there with their gloves off, man, and we got to win this. And, and what's, I mean, we got to come in there strong. And what's the, the problem with um, backing Doug Jones in Alabama? I mean, I don't understand what the Democratic Party is doing if they don't think that they can win a red state. He already won once. Are we planning on backing him again? Because we need him to be out there. Yeah, Tyrone, I mean, I think people absolutely are backing uh, Mr. Jones to, to come back to the Senate. Um, I think we're also seeing a number of new opportunities opening up because of uh, the president's actions specifically around COVID uh, and many of other issues. Um, but we're seeing some real opportunities, but no one's backing off of Doug Jones. And uh, to the other question, I, and I think it's something that we're having many conversations with many progressive ally groups right now, is how do we make sure we're able to hit the ground running? Should we have the House, the Senate, and Joe Biden's the president? How do we, one, make sure we've got good, strong progressives and pointed in positions of power. Uh, so we're working on that right now. Uh, and then how do we make sure we have an agenda that moves forward that will take in progressive priorities? And that's going to be our challenge. We're going to have a lot of work to do. Don't think it's going to be easy, but um, you know, we're going to have a unique opportunity. We have to make sure we take advantage of things right off the bat and get the, the right issues uh, on the top priority list so we can get them done in that first year or two. Jim in Milwaukee, you're on the air with Congressman, uh, Congressman Pokian. Uh, good morning, Congressman. Good morning. Uh, you know, you're a progressive, and uh, I like that. But uh, this, this question I have is for the, uh, the Senate. In the Senate, they have the, uh, the uh, Democratic Senate has a super fund, uh, the super majority PAC fund. And it's funded by the Democrats and major corporations, unions, major labor, labor unions, and uh, there's, there's quite a bit of money in there. So they spent money, $15 million, to defeat progressive Democrats and, and really support more moderate Democrats. Now, I, I, with that, when I read that, I was shocked, and I think that we will never be able to have our government be like in the spirit of FDR with that kind of money being spent against progressives. And why would you do that? Yeah, Jim, I can't speak for the Senate. I can tell you on the House side, you know, we meet with the, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee on a regular basis. We have made sure that we've held them at bay when we've had a progressive uh, running in a primary uh, that they don't get involved. And in past years, we always haven't had a lot of success. I'll, I'll be honest, this year, I think we've had more than usual success keeping them out of some races that they might have otherwise stepped in where they think they're finding the best candidate. Uh, we think whoever the voters pick is the best candidate, right? And that's why we often get involved in primaries as progressives, but we don't think that our dues dollars to necessarily go and do that. But I, I can't speak to the Senate because I'm not part of that body. Um, but I can tell you in the House, uh, as a progressive caucus, we make sure that we're having those conversations with the DCCC leadership anyway to try to make sure that that doesn't happen. 
Congressman, we're just 25 seconds from the break. Do, do you think that there's a possibility that Congress, that either the House, probably less likely the Senate, could end up with a progressive majority, that, that your caucus will end up being the largest caucus? It, it would be difficult, because even with the seats that we're going to pick up, they're, ne- you know, they're um, in tougher districts, and often you, the pressure becomes you know, not to be as progressive as you'd like. Now, there's some great people running. Kara Eastman in Omaha, Nebraska, is amazing progressive, has a great chance of winning, picking up a seat. We've got others like that, but um, I don't know if it would be enough to put us beyond. We have to pick up another 10% uh, in order to do that, and I don't think there's that many seats to have a progressive caucus, yeah. majority of our caucus. No, maybe in two years. <laughs> Chris in Seattle, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Thank you very much for all the work that you do. You inspire uh, people like me every day. And uh, I state that right now because uh, I happen to spend a lot of my time dealing with uh, folks on Facebook and trying to put progressive uh, messages out there to only have them sort of nip at the heels and and really, uh, you know, uh, I'm I'm wondering how we're going to be able to put the hate uh, sort of back in the cave, if you know what I mean. And, and my follow-up, if I could have one, would be, how do you keep positive um, in, in the work that you do every day in, in, the, in the face of all that? Yeah, Chris, thank you. I, you know, the, the, you're right, there's a lot of toxicity out there, especially with Donald Trump's um, hateful uh, demeanor and uh, spirit uh, that has uh, made people uh, out there. I, I read my comments often on social media. And, you know, some of these people are, are, are very interesting. And if you read Ilhan Omar's comments, sometimes you'll really see the hate come out. People are just so afraid of a strong woman of color uh, that uh, it's amazing watching what she has to endure. Um, but, I, you know, people agree with us on the issues. That's the thing. At the end of the day, people agree with progressives on virtually all of the major issues. So we just have to keep talking about them, uh, know that there's always going to be people who are going to shoot at them because it might affect their um, you know, current uh, privilege they have in society, so they don't want to give it up. But we have the vast majority of people within our issues. And how I stay um, positive, honestly, is because of people like uh, the person who probably represents you in Seattle, Pramila Jayapal, having great colleagues like Pramila and Rokana, who's going to be on next. Uh, knowing that we're getting some progress and some victories is, is huge. And, um, you know, as long as you can see the ball moving forward a little, uh, that really helps. And you just got to get up the next day and move it forward a little more and a little more. And, um, you know, think about Medicare for All. Just a few years ago, uh, it was a remote idea, and now it's got majority support in this country. Now we just have to actualize it. That's how I keep positive. Gustavo in Santa Barbara, you're on the Earth Congressman Pocan. Congressman, I was just wondering if you can tell me, why do you think that we still need the Electoral College, and can we get rid of it, and will that be beneficial to us? Thank you. Yeah, so Gustavo, um, I think uh, it's long overdue to have this conversation. I think when you say beneficial to us, I think you mean the country as a whole, because uh, I think it probably is an idea that does not work in the way it was originally intended and how the country, um, when it was created, when it was in place. And this is a serious debate that we need to have. And when people can get the majority of the vote but not win an election because of the Electoral College, and it's happened twice in recent history, that's a severe problem, and we have to have that debate. So uh, I personally think it's time to get rid of it. Yeah, I would love to hear Democrats say every single day in one way or another in the media that the majority of Americans have not voted for Republican for president since 1988. It's been yeah. 32 years. I mean, literally. Yeah. And, you know, uh, and, and that I, I think everyone should agree with. Whoever gets the most votes should win, period. Robert in Baltimore, Maryland. Hey, Robert, you're on the on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi. As the DNC increased its resources to elect Democrats to state legislatures, the 2020 elections uh, will determine how the House districts will be re- uh, redrawn. Let's avoid the disaster of 2010. Yeah, I, I can't speak to the DNC because that's the Democratic Party that's separate than anything congressional. However, I spent 14 years in the legislature before coming to Congress, and the I think it's the DLCC. The Demo- oh boy, there, there's a a separate arm with a, a lot of letters that do the, the state legislative races. And I know they're very active because uh, don't forget the next 
legislatures will draw lines for the next decade. So they are absolutely working on the state legislative races. And, um, you know, that's something we all have to pay attention to, even though I'm at the federal level. I, I care very much about state legislative races because they will draw the lines for the next decade. And because of what happened in 2010, when we had a devastating election for Democrats, we've had to endure a lot of pain in the last decade. So it's really, really important. And thanks for bringing that up, Robert. Ken in Lafayette, Colorado. You're on the Earth, Congressman Pocan. Uh, good morning. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Uh, yes, Congressman Pocan, a question and, uh, and I guess also a, a plea if, uh, for the Democrats. Uh, is Donald Trump has made his bigotry and racism very clear and apparent, and I'd like to ask you guys to call out, for example, his senior advisor, Stephen Miller, and try to, to try to, I don't know, quell what is coming out of the White House, if that's possible at all. Yeah, Ken, we do that. Um, in fact, uh, Google my name and Stephen Miller, and you'll find lots of tweets and, and I think press releases and other things, as well as Pramila Jayapal and Ro Khanna and Joe Kennedy, and go down the list of progressive caucus members. Uh, we're all very outspoken. I mean, Stephen Miller um, clearly... Uh, is leading many of these nationalistic sort of uh, viewpoints. And Donald Trump, of course, is fine because he's already, we know that he's a racist, but he is certainly is enabled by the Stephen Millers of the world. But um, it, it's done that, been there. Um, and I think uh, the most important thing we can keep focus on, though, Ken, is not on someone like Stephen Miller, but on Donald Trump, because Donald Trump's name is on the ballot. Uh, Miller's is not. And uh, that's what we've got to do in the next hundred or so days. Tariq in Tucker, Georgia. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hey, Congressman I'm Pocan. Um, I just want to thank you for your service around what you do with Medicare for All. But I have a, um, one question in two parts. Um, there's a lot changing. We have, the, you know, a pandemic. We have social justice happen. We have an academic crisis um, 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 happening also with a coming housing crisis. And so um, with Medicare for All, do you see Medicare for All being you know, um, being voted on and passing um, in, in the time that we had Joanne Reed, who was an um, opponent to Medicare, um, Medicare for All during the 2020 um, primary, is now four, and she now has a prime time spot. So my, my question is, is it now the time to get Medicare for All passed? And the second part to the question is, is part of that strategy in getting Medicare for All passed, is that also going to um, Nancy Pelosi, who's the leader? We have to remember that Democrats have the House. She has not even allowed a vote on Medicare for All. And so is that part of the strategy in getting what we need, uh, Medicare for All, passed during a pandemic when people are losing their health care? Thank you. Thank yeah, you, Tariq. Tariq, we have 45 I think you seconds, up, by the way. Yeah, you bring up a great point. Uh, the, the COVID crisis has certainly made the case for Medicare for All, and Joy Reid and others are now moving that way, but we still have work to do. We still don't have enough votes to have a majority for it, so we need to keep building that support. I think uh, this crisis has shown us uh, all the more why it's essential to have Medicare for All, but um, we need to continue building that support into the, the Biden administration, um, and we need to build enough support in Congress that we have enough sponsors to show the votes are there in Congress. We're not there yet, Tariq, but I agree with you. There has been serious momentum in the last year. Do you think that uh, if Biden gets elected, do we take the House and Senate, that this will be at the top of the agenda? There are, I, I heard Bernie Sanders answer this question, and he said, you know, they've already agreed through the task force to lower the age, uh, access Medicare and some other things. So there's some steps getting there, but we need still to build the popular support for it and to show that popular support. We know that by polling it's there, but we need to get those that to the elected officials so we have a majority of them. Totally understand. Congressman Pocan, thanks so much for dropping by. Absolutely. Thanks so much. And say hi to Roe for me. I will. Okay. Great talking with you. We'll be right back. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Congressman Roe Khanna is on the line with us. He's the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus and uh, represents the 17th District of California in the U.S. House of Representatives. Kana, K-H-A-N-N-A dot house dot gov is his website. You can tweet him at Rep. Ro Kana. And uh, Congressman Kana, welcome back to the program. I'm, I'm curious what's at the top of your mind today. And also, uh, if you've been following this news, 
out of Portland, Oregon, we had uh, when when they were clearing Lafayette Square, there was uh, apparently one protester where uh, they had come out with one of these unmarked vans with unmarked, you know, secret police uh, jumping out and hustling the guy off. Now it's happened three nights in a row here in Portland. Top story in The Washington Post right now, secret police in the United States. What the hell is going on here? I did follow that, and I'm very concerned. I mean, we had written a letter uh, to uh, the attorney general when it happened at Lafayette Park. I mean, that's uh, unconstitutional to have law enforcement who are not identified. And, of course, it's unconstitutional to be using uh, the military uh, for domestic purposes. And so uh, the uh, reality here is that we need answers, and uh, we're going to be, again, with the speaker demanding answers uh, about who these law enforcement officials are, where their authority is coming from, as Barr or Trump ordered them, and, and it seems to me blatantly unconstitutional to not be identified. Uh, the other thing that we've got going on in, in Congress next week is the defense appropriations, and uh, Mark Pocan and I are uh, leading the effort to not go along with the, the, Trump's extraordinary budget increase. Uh, you know, it's $140 billion more than when Obama left it, and we're proposing a 10 percent that money instead uh, going to job creation and going to uh, dealing with the coronavirus pandemic. Cool. Uh, by the way, speaking of Congressman Pocan, he was just on and he asked me to say hi to you. <laughs> so, oh, well, perfect. Great. We're doing an Instagram live soon, so, so I think on Monday. But uh, he's great. He's, his leadership oh, cool. has been phenomenal. Yeah, he's a good guy. And Terry in Ventura, California, you're on the air with Congressman Conant. Hi, thank you both for what you do. Um, Congressman Rokan, I'm currently reading The Impastors, and it deals with the uh, fact that the Republican Party is not a governing party. I, I would I would say that uh, who are their masters? Uh, remember Speaker Ryan allows actually corporate lawyers to write legislation? Uh, my question, and they tie together, um, for a long time, I favored uh, Mayor Bloomberg because I think he knows how to treat Republicans. And I'm not so, so sure Joe Biden does. We have to treat them with, uh, you know, it's a harsh word, contempt, of which they show for our democracy, being that they're just an arm of the lobbying organization. Lyndon Johnson knew how to strong arm these people. Is Joe Biden going to do such? And uh, the second part, because it is related uh, Trump is going to hang under the power, probably use the 12th Amendment. The electors meet the second Tuesday, right? The Supreme Court will say, hey, you have to make a decision and overturn the counting. What are we going to do about all those issues? Thank you both. Well, I appreciate that. And on your second point, I think this came up last time I was on Tom's show, uh, that, uh, going back to the 1876 election. I mean, there is a real concern about whether these states, Wisconsin, Florida, that have uh, Republican legislators are going to certify the popular winner, especially if it's close. And you already see Trump, who knows that he's losing, uh, preemptively sowing doubt into the election results, uh, trying to egg on uh, these legislators not to certify uh, the winner. So I think that that's, we have to be very vigilant. Partly, it means we have to have a big margin. We can't be complacent. Uh, and second, it means that we're going to have to have people in these, uh, in these states uh, really fighting for, for certification. Uh, to your broader point, I mean, I, I agree with you. When you have a Republican Party uh, that is uh, advocating things like the use of the military uh, on its own people, which was basically Tom Cotton's op-ed in the New York Times advocating uh, for uh, reigniting a Cold War with China, which is basically Pompeo's policies, uh, when you have someone advocating for putting kids in cages, I mean, there's no compromise with, with those kind of uh, uh, individuals in, in those kind of views. Kim and Port here on Michigan. You got a quick question for Congressman Connor? What, if anything, can be done about the silencing of the CDC? It's a great Thank question. You. I mean, it's appalling what the administration has done, which is to bypass the CDC in data. I mean, I, I imagine you follow that, that they've told hospitals, don't send your data to the CDC, send it to a different agency. And I said hospitals should still be sending their information to the CDC. It's the one place that has the scientific expertise. And frankly, if Trump had just listened to the CDC and told everyone to wear masks, uh, a lot of this could have been avoided. I mean, basically, we had to all wear masks and we shouldn't have opened up 
indoor bars. And, and had we done those two things, he could have probably had the economy moving. He could have probably opened up schools and we would have had far fewer deaths. But it's just obstinacy. Uh, a quick digression. I read somewhere that in 1918, when the Spanish flu happened, they had anti-masking clubs back then. 675,000 people died uh, and they were anti-mask demonstrations. And it's sad to me, 100 years later, we're having the same debate. Yeah, there was a big trial here in Portland, Oregon, where where everybody in the jury was wearing masks, everybody in the court was wearing masks, and the one defendant was refusing to wear a mask, and he got acquitted. So, it was an amazing time. That was 1918, Congressman. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Anthony in Madison, Wisconsin, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Congressman, you're a co-sponsor of HR 40, the reparations legislation. Uh, the legislation, as it's currently written, would uh, give reparations to new immigrants from Africa and the Caribbean. Do you support changes to that legislation so that the only people who can uh, get reparations are the descendants of American slavery? Um, and then relatedly, uh, would you support legislation making uh, the descendants of slavery uh, an ethnicity, uh, kind of how uh, Hispanics have their own ethnicity? Thank you. So my understanding, and I could go back and reread H.R. 40, uh, which is, uh, of course, based on the original promise that uh, every uh, slave and, and, and their family would get 40 acres and, uh, and, and two mules. And it was a, a broken promise uh, that uh, was made during Reconstruction but never, never uh, was fulfilled. Uh, my understanding is it calls for a commission to study the issue and to make recommendations. And I don't think it is uh, has a definition uh, that is inclusive uh, of uh, uh, immigrants or not. I think the whole point is that that would be studied by, by the commission. And uh, I certainly think that the uh, place that the communities that should be uh, targeted for reparations are the ones that uh, either suffered through slavery or Jim Crow uh, and, and, and discrimination. And, and my guess is that if you target those communities, uh, yes, a lot of them will be descendants of slaves, but some of them may be re more recent immigrants. The point is that there's been not just the 246 years of slavery, but also 100 years of Jim Crow. Joe in Cupertino, California, you're on the air with Congress with your congressman, I believe. Congressman, real quick here, because you know there's a lot going on, but I just can't believe that you, Diane Feinstein, would vote with uh, 44 Republicans, 14 Democrats, to continue this under these conditions. And I'm talking about the authorization for war. I know that's been a big issue for you, and it's been a big issue for me. But to have our own senator vote with the Republicans on this at this juncture with this president. I think I'm praying that this is her last term, but what are we going to do to replace her? Because if we wait, it's just the same thing as uh, Biden's going to continue the same thing, too. What do you think? Well, Joe, we need, we need to, as a party, stand up uh, against continuing these perpetual uh, uh, wars. And I was very disappointed in the Armed Services Committee. There was an amendment that passed. I opposed the amendment that basically would restrict uh, and the president's ability to withdraw from Afghanistan. And it's, Congress finally woke up from, from its slumber on matters of war and peace and said, OK, you have to meet these 12 conditions before you can withdraw. Uh, I, I think what we ought to be doing is restricting the president from getting into wars, not restricting them from getting out of these wars. So, you know, Barbara Lee, there's some great voices, and we just have to be more vigilant of continuing to push for restraint in uh, military interventions and, and uh, work to build that coalition. Looking at who's probably coming into Congress uh, in next January, do you expect that there'll be a, a stronger sentiment around these war issues? Tom, I do. I, I think that the uh, one place where Biden is pretty good is he's, he's talked about uh, passing Barbara Lee's the repeal of 2001 and 2002's AUMF. And it's a war-weary country, and I think that people around Biden realize that. That's great. That's, that's reassuring. Thank you. Judy in Denver. Judy, you are on the air with Congressman Connor. The PPP program allowed the, ca the Catholic Church 
to receive $1.3 billion and Christian churches to receive up to $3 million apiece. Yet the Constitution talks about uh, separation of church and state, which obviously no longer exists. And what are you, what are you folks, progressives, going to do about it? Well, we absolutely need to make sure that uh, these institutions, if they're getting uh, funding that they're using for religious purposes, shouldn't be. Now, if they're getting funding because they have a a school or some social service that is not uh, affiliated with uh, promoting a a religious perspective, uh, that's different. But I think that the bigger issue uh, is that uh, small businesses, minority businesses, in particular, were denied a lot of this funding, uh, and institutions that had relationships with the banks got the funding, uh, and it's really not been distributed in a way that uh, has helped the the people that need it the most. Dave in Hot Springs Village, Arkansas. You're on the air with Congressman Connor. I'm wondering if you're on board with Elizabeth Warren's wealth tax proposal. Dave, I am. I, I, I support it. Uh, you know, when you have a situation that the three wealthiest Americans have uh, more than the 50 percent of uh, the, the bottom in terms of Americans, uh, and when you have a situation where the top 0.1 percent of Americans have more than the next 90 percent of Americans, you know something is off. Uh, one interesting point on a wealth tax, 93 percent of wealth that Americans owned is invested in America. Only 1.5 percent is in Cayman Islands and 1 percent in Great Britain. So these people who say, oh, if you tax their wealth, they'll take it uh, offshore. It's just not true. It's like people who say if you tax them, they'll leave the United States. People like to invest in the United States. They like to live in the United States. We can tax them and raise the revenue without having capital flight. The other, uh, just for you know, and I'm sure you are, have already thought about this and know it, but I just wanted to say it for the record. The other, the other argument for that, um, I own my own home, as do about 60% of Americans, and uh, every year I have to pay property tax on my largest in individual single piece of wealth, which is my home. So, uh, homeowners pay a wealth tax. Um, why don't money bin owners pay a wealth tax on the, on what's in their money bins? Wouldn't that be a great way to frame it? I completely agree. And in fact, there was a, a school of thought uh, in economics who had said, let's tax land, basically, which is a lot of the wealth. And uh, it's similar to the uh, to taxing of, of property. So uh, some form of, of wealth tax, I think, is necessary. And it actually adds to the uh, a velocity of money in the in the economy. You know, one of the reasons that the Middle Ages didn't do well is that there was so much money that was just stored and wasn't being invested. It was just sitting there. Uh, so if you want a dynamic economy, you want that money circulating, not just staying in the hands of a few people. Dana in Phoenix, Arizona, you're on with Congressman Kana. I am a progressive in the middle of red, maybe purple Arizona, and I'm trying to just do more than share posts on Facebook. So I'm, I'm writing to my senators and my representative is David Schweiker, and I'm just wondering, what are the best ways for us to exert influence on our representatives? Yeah, that's a great question. I think uh, social media is something that actually people are paying more attention to. So if you tweet that at them, if you uh, comment on, on their pages on Facebook, uh, certainly emailing them uh, is something that matters. I think it, it, in candor, representatives pay more attention when it's not just one person, but when they're 20, 30, 40 people. And if it's not a form letter, but uh, authentically looks like different people are speaking to them. Uh, visiting uh, representatives uh, makes a difference. Uh, I know I always take it, it, it seriously when people make the effort to come and uh, and have a meeting. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm always amazed at how much citizens underestimate their impact to, to shape uh, uh, a policy. If you really care about something and you're persistent, uh, you can get the attention of your representatives. And Louise in Seattle, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. I'm encouraged this hour that some foreign policy issues have been raised because last hour with Representative Pocan, I don't think there was one call that uh, had anything to do with foreign policy. But I know that uh, domestic policy is on everybody's mind. 
So I'm I'm encouraged, um, Representative Connor, that when you hear hearing you support the 10 percent cut in the defense budget, for one thing, and also that you addressed um, the role of Congress in declaring war and uh, trying possibly to repeal the uh, 2001 and 2002 AUMFs that's been on our agenda for a long time, and unfortunately it hasn't happened yet. The one issue that you haven't addressed that I'm concerned about is money for nuclear weapons. And uh, not only renewing nuclear weapons, but even possibly testing uh, nuclear weapons. So I wonder if you might address that. Please, I appreciate you raising the question. Uh, I had an amendment in the Armed Services Committee that I worked with uh, Bill Perry on uh, to stop the modernization funding uh, for ICBMs. ICBMs are, are the biggest threat uh, for accidental nuclear war, because even when you have uh, a nuclear uh, weapons on a submarine or on, an, on a bomber, uh, if there was a, a green light to use them, you can call it back. Obviously, you cannot call back an ICBM. And the people who have studied this, like uh, Perry, have said that we want to increase the decision time for a president and the ability uh, to call something back to avoid accidental war. And that America's defense is very, very strong with the uh, submarines and the uh, uh, aerial bombers. So uh, the modernization of ICBMs is not necessary. The amendment failed in committee overwhelmingly. Even Democrats voted against me. Uh, we did get Adam Smith, who's the chair, voting with us, which was a a, a, a start. And I'm going to be writing an op-ed with Perry to make this case. It's uh, We've got to first get our own party on board with uh, stopping this trillion dollars on, on modernization. Jeff in Portland, Oregon. You're on the air with Congressman Connor. Hey, good morning, Tom and Congressman Khanna. Thanks so much for this town hall double doubleheader. Great stuff. Um, Congressman Khanna, since you've been one of the strongest members of Congress in trying to end our support for Saudi Arabia's merciless bombing of Yemen, um, uh, concerning the 10 percent cut on the Pentagon budget, the vote is next Tuesday, so I'm, I want to urge all people listening to call their senators to vote yes on Bernie's amendment to, to do that. Um, but my question today, Congressman, concerns the upcoming negotiations on the HEROES Act. As we've agreed before, because of their disastrous response to the pandemic and just about everything else, Trump and McConnell are going to need to sign off on some relief uh, with so many Americans in desperate straits. So I say, A, don't go for their bluffs. B, fight hard for your 2000 a month direct payments to all Americans. And finally, C, how about using this opportunity needed to assert that good public health demands we guarantee housing for all. For instance, Finland's housing first concept, it actually saves their government 15,000 euros per person a year by giving housing without any preconditions to anyone who needs it. Congressman Khanna, isn't it high time we end the homelessness crisis haunting all our major American cities? Jeff, well, thank you for all of those points. First of all, I think it's very promising that Senator Schumer has come out for uh, Bernie Sanders' amendment for a 10% cut, which, again, keeps the defense budget at a significantly higher amount than where Obama left it. Uh, so I'm hoping that will pass the uh, pass the Senate. That would be a big deal uh, if we can get that through. Uh, I agree with you that we need to be pushing for $2,000 a month in the, in the HEROES Act. We need to be pushing for greater funding for states and localities. And we need to be pushing for housing funding. Uh, Maxine Waters has a $13 billion bill that would do what you're saying, a lot of it, to, to provide affordable housing uh, in areas to tackle homelessness. And I, uh, I, I think we ought to be pushing for these priorities. Kevin in Venice Beach, California. You're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Hey, Tom, Congressman Khanna, um, real quick, uh, you kind of already answered my question, but uh, Nancy Pelosi said there'd be a second stimulus bill after she shut a reporter up, but we haven't seen it. And what can we do to get Nancy Pelosi to work on the people's side instead of corporate interests, other than voting her out? And by the way, um, her challenger is so like you, and he's so like he, he's one of the most incredible progressives around there. And I hope he does get in. But is there anything we can do to get Pelosi to work for the people and get that second stimulus bill out there? Well, Kevin, I, I do think we have to look at the circumstances of what she's up against, which is that she's up, she, she's up against McConnell and Trump. Uh, so one thing that would get progressive policy moving is if she were if we had a. Uh, 
uh, a, a president who was a Democrat and and Schumer. I mean, the reality is that Pelosi is uh, uh, much more progressive than than Steny Hoyer. I don't think he would uh, uh, object to, to that. Uh, but I think more broadly, what we need to do is think about how we get progressives in 2022 and. Uh, in leadership heading into there. And I, you know, I think someone like Pramila Jayapal or uh, a number of others are well positioned. Uh, we need to have them at the negotiating table uh, so that our progressive priorities are, are there uh, and that they're, they're not uh, uh, bargained away. Gigi in Joliet, Illinois, you are on the air with Congressman Connor. Why do we not go after the folks that all of a sudden become investigated for ethics, such as Donald Trump's sister, who was a judge. And when the Times piece came out, she all of a sudden said, oops, I've got to go and walks away into the night. We never see or hear of anything that she may have been doing while she was a judge. Why can't we go after the people who sat in that position and committed crimes or ethics um, why can't we go after them, even after they've stepped away? It is a great question, and I think it requires a structural change that Elizabeth Warren has actually proposed. Part of the challenge right now is either you have the Justice Department, where it's understandably a high bar before you put someone in jail because a criminal charge should be a, uh, a high burden of proof, or if you have an ethics investigation on corruption, uh, it's, let, it's basically members of Congress and Congress that has to do the oversight. And people don't go to Congress. I mean, I'm not a uh, trained investigator. That's not my skill set. I went to Congress to make laws. So what Warren has said is, like most other countries, we need an independent investigative body that has jurisdiction over ethical transgressions by the executive branch. You can expand that to include the judicial and congressional branch. And that body uh, should be an anti-corruption unit uh, that then can either recommend very serious cases to the Justice Department for criminal prosecution or can levy uh, sanctions short of criminal prosecution. And we need to create such an anti-corruption unit in our country. Jessica in Springfield, Illinois, you are on the air with Congressman Khanna. Great. Hi, Re Hi Representative Khanna. Um, I was just wondering if you think there will be an extension on the student loan relief that is happening right now through the CARES Act. Um, I think the current relief ends on September 30th. And then I was also wondering if, if um, Biden becomes president, can he possibly cancel student loan debt or a portion of it through executive order? Or is that something that needs to go through Congress? I think that's a very good question. As someone who had student loans uh, at one point and had to take a year of forbearance, I totally sympathize. I mean, I've ended up doing well and don't have that worry now, but it's uh, it's crushing, and particularly for young graduates who may not have a job now and who uh, are having trouble paying the rent. Uh, I'm hopeful we can get it extended uh, as part of the deal, the relief. But, as, of course, the extension is not nearly good enough because it's just deferring the uh, the payment uh, and uh, it's not providing uh, substantive relief and lowering the actual amount. Uh, I'm hopeful we'll be able to lower the amount that Biden's president uh, through a law in Congress and the Senate, which the uh, Trump and Biden would sign. He's been open to saying up to $10,000 of uh, relief. Uh, as you know, it's argued whether a president would have the executive uh, authority to do it or not. Uh, and legal scholars are disputing disputing that. My hope is we can pass it through Congress and Senate so it doesn't come to that. If we can't, then I think the Biden administration should look into it. Tice in St. Petersburg, Florida. You're on the air with Congressman Conant. Hi, thank you both for taking my call. I'm a retired military officer and, and IGs were crucial in, in what we do in the military. But I was wondering why aren't IGs uh, civil servants so they can't be fired? That's just a uh, very good point. I mean, I think the idea initially was uh, that they would be quasi like a, a judge appointed by the president, confirmed by uh, the, the Senate in certain cases, uh, uh, so that they have the authority and, and have the stature to, uh, to to really be independent. And, and, and uh, they haven't been politicized uh, in the past. But, you know, Trump has... Uh, in some ways revealed systematic weaknesses because so much of our democracy relied on norms and, and you now see the consequences of someone violating those norms. 
So we do need to think about how we can make those IG uh, positions independent from political influence. Maybe it's something like what we have in the Fed where the terms are longer and it's harder for a president to just fire someone uh, based on politics. Of course, the last point is that now that Trump has put a lot of his cronies in, you know, if Biden gets in there, uh, that's a danger for him because they wouldn't want Trump's cronies out there with IG uh, running havoc on, on a Biden administration. Deborah in Columbia, Tennessee, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Yes, thank you. M quick question. Um, have you, any of you, considered uh, the impeachment of Bill Barr? Uh, my fear is that we're not going to get anything done um, and hold this president accountable as long as he's got Bill Barr backing everything he does. Thank you. We have, and it would have to originate in the Judiciary Committee, and I know Representative Cohen has started the process, but in candor, that's not going to happen in, a, in an election year. And, and our, our focus, uh, while I agree with you that he's done impeachable uh, acts, and I think the Speaker would agree with that as well, uh, our focus has to be uh, on safeguarding our democracy and, and, and winning. And uh, again, taking into account what we discussed earlier, the 12th Amendment scenario, I, I have no doubt, I have very little doubt Biden's going to win the national popular vote. I'm increasingly confident he's going to uh, win the, the vote in these states. But what, I'm, what, what keeps me up is with voter disenfranchisement, when we saw the Supreme Court saying ex-felons can't vote because basically they have to pay a poll tax and pay all their fees before they can vote. When you, when you have a Supreme Court uh, that is doing that and you have systematic efforts to disenfranchise people, Recently, a court in Wisconsin said uh, basically that there have to be all these criteria before someone can vote absentee and shorten the amount of time. Those are the things that we need to be focused on and where the fight's going to be. Congressman Connor, we only have 45 seconds to the end of the, at the, end of the hour. Your thoughts on the coming week and where uh, those of us you know, who are interested in doing so should focus our activism efforts? Well, this week, I really hope people can focus on the defense bill and support uh, Mark Pocan and my efforts to uh, say no to these defense increases. I mean, if we can't say no to Donald Trump's increases, dramatic increases over Obama, I don't know how we will ever rein in uh, this military spending that leads to uh, more wars. And then after that, I think we all should be vigilant in getting as good a, a deal as we can with the stimulus. It is going to pass. And the question is, is there going to be relief for working families, for people who are facing eviction, uh, for people who aren't being able to pay the bills, and for people who need unemployment extended but beyond July 31st? Yeah, uh, well said. Thank you. Congressman Rokana, it's great having you with us. Thanks so much for dropping by today. Always love the program. Thanks, Tom. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.